As we go to scripture this morning, um, I want you to notice a couple of things. In the first scripture, you're going to hear about a sword with two edges. It's important that we come to terms with what that means. In the second scripture, the gospel scripture, you're going to hear that amazing story. But here's what I'd love to have you think about. Jesus, you're going to be in relationship and kind of confront this young man who comes and says, I followed all the laws, but notice which laws he follows. Might these be the easy ones? Then Jesus makes that statement. And as he talks about giving all that we have, and a camel, and a needle. And we'll see where this goes. David? Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, And before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Holy wisdom, holy word. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked, and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but for God, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age. Houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, 
and the last will be first. This is God's word. Well, friends, um, what an amazing week it's been. What an amazing week it has been. And I I go back to the meeting last Sunday, and and as heartfelt as that discussion was, what it again showed me was that we are community and that we are going to work through anything we need to work through in order to become even deeper in community with each other, that we are, in fact, one body worshiping in two distinctive ways. And the more we talk about it, the more we discuss, the more we will accomplish and the deeper we will go as community. In the midst of both services last week, we had two absolutely beautiful, small children baptized. And we committed as a body of Christ at both of these services to surround Henry and Emmy as a community of faith and living our lives in such a way that will help them understand what being Christian is all about. And surrounding those families that no matter what they go through, we will be there for them, no matter what. On Thursday then, John went in for surgery at 5.30 in the morning and there was Wilma by his side. And it was an amazing surgery. We thought it was gonna be three hours. It was more like six and a half hours. But I will tell you, on John's heart, on his mind, and in his confidence were you all, knowing that you were behind him, behind them, praying for him through this time, praying for Wilma and the girls and their families through this very scary time. And the other prayer needs that we have seen throughout the week, knowing that you all take those in and pray for those also deepens and creates community. Two nights before that surgery, the Vision Task Force met. And it was a long, tweaking, incredible, challenging, honest, right Nancy, <laughs> discussion. And, and what they were presented was a document. And by the time I got that document home and we were out of there at about 940, I couldn't read hardly any of the words that had been on the original piece. But what was amazing to me was watching this group agree and disagree with such an intensity of love and care that again I was reminded that this is a community of faith. And the first section of that vision is on the screen. It looks so easy. But this is a lot of work. Aldersgate, that's our brand, that's who we are. A united Methodist church growing in faith, love, and service. Now I have to share with you what I shared with first service. We talked about acronyms. We talked about acronyms and I tell you as I was preparing for this sermon, the acronym that was shared, which I said I would not say, in worship, I will share with you because it just kept coming back to me. Right, David? It just kept coming back to me as I was thinking, okay, okay, the three words again are, oh, that's right, faith, love, and service because floss. <laughs> but I realized this morning it can also be feels. But floss was the one that just helped remind me over and over and over what those three words are. 
faith, love, and service. Three defining words for us as a church. It's been an amazing week. And then sat sitting there last night in a kind of cold and rainy Liberty High School football stadium with Pam Bresky. Um, knowing that after it, just an incredible event on Friday evening, uh, which was the family fun night, and watching Ryan Bresky, I mean, it, it was fine. I mean, thank you for your modicum of support and your patience with this pastor who hasn't sung folk songs for about 35 years and was really thankful that someone much better looking was up there, Dorothy, and one much more talented, Roger, but, and having followed this ensemble who played one of my favorite kind of oompa pieces, and watching the games that happened all around this place, but the one that just kept coming to heart for me was when young Kyle Bresky sat there with Roger and sang Tennessee Ernie Ford and Johnny Cash. <laughs> 10 years old. I think he's 10. And did it with such expression that I was amazed that even any 10-year-old would know who Tennessee Ernie Ford was, <laughs> let alone Johnny Cash, let alone really almost having all those words sung by heart. Community. Family. Acceptance, disagreement in love, prayer, all of these things surround and undergird who we are as a community. Next slide, John, the, the next piece. As the Vision Task Force continued in their work that night, we decided on a defining statement. This is a key statement, and I'm going to read it. Our defining statement, Aldersgate is an accepting Christian community where all are welcome. And all are welcome to do four, I mean, we're welcome to do a lot of things, but these four elements are also defining for us. Next slide, John. Welcome to gather and serve. Next one. Welcome to search and find. Next one. To help and heal. And the final one. <laughs> this is going to be, it is. <laughs> to laugh. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and love. I, I just share, too. I, I, you have no idea where I've gotten messages from around the world because of this picture. <laughs> Even my bishop. <laughs> thank, thank you very much for all that. <laughs> to laugh and to love. It is who we are as a church, and these four become those kinds of things by which we evaluate our work. But there's one more element of the faith, love, and service in these statements, and that is that we engage in three very distinctive questions. They are, as we ask each of ourselves personally, am I engaged in a worship experience, a study, or class that helps me grow in faith? Next question. Am I connecting with people in trusting, meaningful, life-renewing relationships, particularly within the church? And finally, am I offering myself to God? These are, this is the Andrews Glenn Delivery Group. I think it was the first group that took things to Andrews Glenn to help have beds and sheets and all kinds of kitchenware 
Am I offering myself to God by serving people in need? Let's go back to that first one again. This is the vision that we are casting for the church. And a vision, if I will remind you, is that what a vision does is it not only identifies kind of our current reality, it also identifies where we're trying to head, what is going to be that direction that we're going. And John, if I can get that original statement back up, that'd be great. This. This becomes the sign out on Newport Way. And this becomes, these three words become that which we all are seeking to bring. And particularly now on this first Sunday where we're going to begin to explore stewardship, I want to ask you a favor. I would like to approach stewardship in a little different way this year. Not with the glossy and kind of handout, big periodical things that we could even put on doorknobs. I'd like to approach stewardship this way in a much simpler way. And that it be centered around prayer. That each one of us, as we examine this vision and this will go before the leadership council at their November meeting. This will go into the e-newsletter over the next few weeks. As you engage this, or if you have questions about it or comments about it, please let me know. But as we do this, stewardship, we, we explore stewardship, and stewardship in its purest form is each one giving a part of what they have. Not just money but a part of what they have, the gifts that they bring to share with the greater community at Aldersgate and beyond, even to Ethiopia. That's stewardship. You will get a letter from me and it will have a pledge card in it and you're going to find me encouraging you to do that. But as we explore stewardship, we're going to take it deeper this year. And it begins today. Today we explore this phenomenal set of scriptures. From the Gospel of Mark, we have this unusual situation where a young man comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to gain the kingdom of God? And remember, please remember, that nothing that Jesus says in this statement, in this whole scripture, has anything to do with heaven or some life beyond earth. It has everything to do with the way that we choose to live our lives here and now. And so Jesus goes through those laws, the Ten Commandments, right? And, and at least some of them. And, and the man is able to say, this young man is able to say, you know what, I've, I've done it all. I've done them all correctly. I've lived my life by these things. Then we get the but statement from Jesus. Here's the kicker. Those laws, pretty much we all follow. Those are the easy ones. These, this next one, however, much, much more difficult. Now, go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And what does it say? The man went away devastated because he had significant wealth. Then Jesus goes and he talks about the wealthy and and as he's looking at his disciples and he realizes the environment in which he lives, we cannot disconnect the historic aspect of where he was with what he was saying. We can't and we mustn't. In that time, you've got to remember that there were 93 to 95% of people in that area, in that region, 
who were not just poor. They were living in absolute divest poverty, not sure where their next meal would come from. They didn't know. That's who he is speaking to. And 1%, maybe 2% of the people at that time could have supported the world with the wealth that they had. And yet what they created was a separation that was so significant that the poor didn't have what they needed, nor did the rich care. You ever read a, have you, you, ever, you ever ridden a camel? You ever, you ever looked in the face of a camel? You ever been up close and personal with a camel? These are, first of all, they spit. Right? They spit. And particularly at that time, they weren't bathed, so they stunk. They were the largest animal that anyone could think of in that region, some larger than others. They would, they would drool profusely. Are you getting the picture? Did I say they stunk? And the only purpose of a camel was to get you from point A to point B, but only those who had the money to have camels could get you from point A to point B. Others, well, they walked. The camels were big, and they were ugly, and they were hairy, and they stunk, and they drooled, and they spit. Camel. Might the camel, might the camel represent the need? Nobody wanted to look at the need. Nobody, particularly those with wealth, wanted to see what was really out there. And they didn't have to. They could live in their ivory towers and they could just do whatever they wanted. They had everything they needed. So they didn't have to look at the camel. Now let's look at the needle. The needle. I'm 57 years old and I cannot for the life of me right now put a piece of thread through the needle, through the eye of the needle. It goes here and here and here and here and here and here. And I, you know, finally, if I'm lucky, I admitted to the children this morning that I am so vain, even though I wear trifocals, I don't have those that have the lines in them. It's hard to get that thing into that eye of the needle. Might the eye of the needle represent the resources that are out there? And so how do you get a camel the eye of the needle. Well, pretty simple, really. Now, I could go really organic with you and, and tell that there's a way to do this. I'm not going to go into great detail, but what you do is you shrink down the camel and you increase the eye of the needle. <laughs> now, to get there, I want to just tell you a quick story. I've told this once before, but, but, but it, I think it relates well to what we're trying to do here as a church and what this vision has to do with it. I've introduced you at one point to my grandfather. His name was Chauncey. I can't imagine growing up with a name like Chauncey. And particularly just after the turn of the last century, he had moved to Boston with his wife, his lovely bride, Cora Bell. Chauncey had a deep desire to do ministry, but he knew it wasn't to be ordained ministry. He didn't want to stand in front of a church and preach. He was an action-oriented kind of guy, and as they moved to Boston, he began to walk the streets to see what was going on. And as he walked the streets, what he found was an incredible time of infestation, divest poverty, uh, unemployment that was somewhere 70 to 85 percent. He found diseases that no one ever wants to examine. 
He found an incredible amount of need. And it was ugly. Camel. It was ugly. He would describe, and I remember sitting in his feet as he talked about this very openly. I remember sitting at his feet as a child and having him describe having to step over the children who had died the previous night on the street. But I remember the kind of glint in his eye as he talked about meeting a man, a pastor named Edgar Helms. Edgar Helms had just begun a new church, and yeah, by the way, new church starts happened even back then. Edgar's dream was to create what he would call the Church of All Nations. And what he meant by that was remember what was going on in immigration at that time in Boston. If you've seen the movie Gangs, The Gangs of New York, that will give you the images. If you haven't, it was a terrible time. Edgar Helms had an idea, and his heart was particularly for children, at least at the outset. And so the women of the church would go out and think about this, friends. They would go out on the streets, and they would gather the children who were begging and bring them in and, and bring them to the church, to the fellowship hall, where they had previously cooked a meal. And then they would sit them down, and they would tell them these wonderful stories as they were being fed about, not just about Jesus, but but help them understand how you speak English and learning about spelling and arithmetic and things that they knew would set these children up for a different future. My grandfather saw all of the, the needs, but he also decided that he couldn't solve it alone. And so he looked up in the wealthy areas of Boston and he went there and began to meet with the wealthy business owners of that community. And you know what he asked them? He didn't ask them to give money to the church. That's not what he did. He asked if they had extra clothes, furniture they were no longer using, and other things, household items, that they would donate so that others could repair them, be sold, equip and train those who didn't currently have jobs, and then in the, the sale of those things, that money would go to feed and house and train. He is the one who coined the phrase, a hand up, not a handout. He is. And what was born out of all this, and to make a long story short, is what was initially called the industries of goodwill. Goodwill and going into the community and not just giving, but offering people a new life that they then built. And later on, as they saw this ministry expand and watched the Church of All Nations grow, and they moved to Louisville, Kentucky, and had just come through St. Louis and built one of the industries of goodwill there, and then in Louisville, and then across the nation was born, as the two kind of phrases were shifted, Goodwill Industries. And I will say, he changed tens of thousands of lives. He looked at the need, camel, and he saw a way to get that into a place, combining these two elements, even the eye of the needle. These two elements that would allow the wealthy to give what they have. And invariably what happened is the wealthy didn't start and didn't stop with 
an old piece of furniture. They saw the healing that happened and it changed their lives. And again, out of this grew an incredible national ministry. Camel, eye of the needle. We live in a time of almost 9% unemployment in a state where unemployment has been rampant. We live in a time where one in four women and one in seven men are confronted by domestic violence in ways that we don't even want to think about. We live in a time and in a place where 3,000 children go to bed hungry every day. And I'm not talking downtown Seattle, I'm talking east side. Every day. We live in a time where the homelessness situation continues. We think we're solving it and what we see is it just continues to grow. We live in a time when a new gospel narrative needs to be born. We live in a time where, as I said before, where the church seems to be shrinking its table and only, only the right people are able to come and attend. We live in a time where the numbers that I've just said to you can be so overwhelming, camel. And yet we live in a time where if we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, we easily know. We, in a very challenging way, can see our role as the needle that will repair and assist and empower and equip. But here's the part of this vision, is that we don't just do it as individuals going out to some project. What we find are those places as a church, whole church, where we adopt potentially an annual program or a biannual program where the whole church gathers around it. Kind of like together we build, but even more. We begin to think not just in, as an outreach committee, but as a body. How do we do this so that not only are we changing a few lives, we may be even changing the system that creates some of the issues. But we don't stop there. We continue to deepen our relationships with each other. That those questions, those three questions truly do guide us. Because the more we understand about faith, the deeper we will go in our understanding of how we care for and are in relationship with each other, last Sunday morning's meeting, and how we serve those in need. This is a challenging vision, as simple as it may look. It's a challenging vision. So where are the camels for us? Where are the resources that we have? What are we willing to provide? And might this year be the year that we go even more and deeper than what we have shared before? Not just for the good of the church, but to create a different kind of kingdom, if you will that is heavenly for anyone and everyone. Where we open our arms and say to anyone who may be doubting or struggling or poor, y'all come. And we're here for you. And we will love you in ways that you may have never been loved before. In the healthiest of ways. That's the vision, at least the one that I want to promote and that has now been decided on by this vision task force. Are you willing? Are you ready? Are you able? Will you pray with me?
God of creation, we do come into this place as a community seeking, seeking to get better about what we offer and what we do. We come to this place not only to support each other, and that is such a significant part of our work. We come asking these three questions. What am I doing in my life to deepen my faith? What are, am I allowing myself to engage with others in life-renewing ways? For me, for the church, and how am I serving you as I recognize the needs out there? Where we reach out and give a hand up to anyone who may be struggling in any way in this time and in this place. You ask us to give all that we have to you. May it be so. Amen.